Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, and I'm an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Wasteless Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has the goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability, and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. Many of us enjoy sharing our adventures online with friends and family, but does how we share those experiences impact the wild places themselves? In episode 95, we're talking about how social media and the online conversations about geotagging, location sharing, and equal access in the outdoors can change and influence those wild landscapes. To help do a deep dive into these topics, I had the pleasure of hosting Maddie Marcourt. Maddie is a sea kayaking guide, expedition paddler, and writer. From guidebooks to guided tours, she's both shared outdoor information and locations in a lot of different ways, and has seen the impacts of areas that have been loved to death. Thanks for joining me today, Maddie. I am excited to chat with someone that is from one of my favorite areas of the country, northern Minnesota, or at least you live there right now. I guess I don't know if you're originally from there or not. But before we start today's topic, I would just like to get to know you a little bit more. So how did you first get involved in outdoor recreation and how does that fit into your life today? Yeah, so I'm from Michigan originally. Oh, okay. So similar area, similar Similar area. (sighs) Yeah, but I I kind of grew up, my uncle was really into paddling and sea kayaking growing up and he kind of got me involved in the sport when I was younger. And in college, I worked as a paddling guide in the Apostle Islands and just kind of continued that throughout my adult life. I was actually a Peace Corps volunteer in 2020 in Armenia or up until 2020. And then everybody got sent home due to COVID and I got back into paddling guiding and freelance writing. And so today I work as a paddling guide in the summer and a freelance writer, usually for outdoors related stuff in the winter. And that's kind of how the outdoors fits into my life. I do live in Northern Minnesota now. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Michigan, Minnesota, that whole region is very beautiful. And the Apostle Islands, what a wonderful place. Would you say that paddling is kind of like your main outdoor sport? Yes, definitely. I do a little bit of backpacking, but definitely more paddling, especially because it's more of a summer. And I paddle in the winter too, but last summer I was on a 70-day expedition where we paddled from Bellingham up the inside passage on the inside of Vancouver Island and then kind of back to Bellingham. And so every summer I kind of try and carve out either a chunk of time to guide or a chunk of time to do a personal paddle strip like that. So it doesn't leave as much time for hiking. Yeah, absolutely not. No, what a beautiful yeah. paddle that must have been, because that would have been on the ocean then. So you got yeah. to see a lot of different wildlife. Oh, amazing. It was crazy. <laughs> it was pretty cool. That's so cool. Okay, awesome. So I guess today's topic, we were talking about geotagging. So that seems kind of just like a random thing to talk about. And we originally connected, I think, because I saw one of your TikToks mm-hmm. where you were talking about geotagging. And so since you have a social media presence, I think when I think of geotagging, that's where I think of it most prevalently. Like we're posting a picture and we're tagging the exact location so people know exactly where we were. But how would you define what geotagging is? 
Yeah. So this is actually such a hard question to answer. And because I, I had to Google, I'm like, okay, what is the actual definition of geotagging? And the other thing I do is I'm a freelance photographer. Geotagging is literally just the process, like as it is defined in its definition of adding geographic metadata to a photo or a video. So going into the file, it's got like the date and the time it was taking. So geotagging would be adding the coordinates and that like, according to the actual definition is the definition. I think it's been expanded kind of to mean a lot of different things. And like most often colloquially, I think people think of it like you do. It's like tagging either coordinates or a specific trailhead on social media, I think is probably the most common usage of the word. Yeah, because most people aren't going to be like going into the back end of the photos to be like, where is this taken, I guess. Yeah, I think that the definition used online is probably outdated. That makes sense. When we originally connected, you kind of talked about how people have like pretty broad views of what geotagging is. And so like, even though that would be like the technical definition, how do you think it is defined in the outdoor industry as a whole, or I guess societally? Yeah, I mean, I guess I think it really just depends on who you ask. I think some people define it as just sharing coordinates. Some people would expand and say sharing coordinates or sharing a specific trailhead. Some people would say, okay, anytime you share a national park, even if it's the whole park or state park, that's still geotagging, even if it's not the trail. I've had people come into my comments and say, we shouldn't geotag Lake Superior, which you're familiar with Lake Superior, but for people who aren't, you can drive 12 hours and still be driving along Lake Superior and not have like gone in a circle. That's a pretty broad definition. And there are people who think it's creating a trail guide, like a detailed trail guide on the internet, like a, a static blog is counts as geotagging. And there are even people who would consider like writing a full length book, including different places to visit, like writing a guidebook, they say that's geotagging too. And I just don't think that people are on the same page about what it means. And I, I can understand why any of those things could be geotagging. But I think we kind of use geotagging and location sharing a little bit interchangeably, if that makes sense. Yeah. I also think that it's interesting that there's kind of like a sliding morality attached to the word, depending on what you're sharing. Like people think it is less moral to share coordinates of a waterfall on sensitive soil. People use the term sensitive soil a lot. I'm not sure they know what it means. And like more moral to write an in-depth travel blog. And I just think it's really interesting that we've attached this idea of morality to something without really investigating what we're talking about. Yeah, because I mean, those two examples would be leaving the same impact to my view of things. I mean, if you're posting a blog about a location mm -hmm. versus a social media post about a location, like if you're thinking about content development or like content creation in general, the blog lives longer. So yeah, wouldn't that have yeah, a definitely. bigger impact? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I think people just don't like social media. And I have some thoughts on that that'll probably come up later, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I guess what is the original purpose of geotagging? And then how has that like kind of like developed and even become convoluted with the age of the Internet that we're in today? Yeah, definitely. So I think like the easiest like low hanging fruit answer to that is it's to provide geographic information, of course. But that's a little tongue in cheek. So for me, I know when I geotag, I work as an outdoor guide and a freelance writer. And a lot of what I write is an outdoor resource, whether it is a trail guide or whether it's like tips for your first paddle camping trip. The point of providing that information, whether it's like in person, I'm taking you to a sea cave or online, I'm writing like go through this company and this company here. And here's how you can do it to access that is to help people have the like best, safest experience they can have both safe for them and the ecosystem and ultimately to facilitate like a meaningful experience for someone in the outdoors. I'm like one of those people who believes time outside is a human right. We were all kind of born in the outdoors, like evolutionarily speaking, and are like, we're at our healthiest mentally and physically outdoors. And meaningful experiences make for better environmental advocates. And for me, when I'm sharing information, that's kind of the place I'm coming from. 
I don't speak for everyone. And I think it's really important to recognize kind of how social media has undercut that because there is a potential to go viral by sharing a specific location. And I think that that inherently affects people's motives, whether they mean it to or not. And I think that that's really reflective of the way that social media has affected every single issue we talk about today, because a lot of people are on social media and there's like a lot of ways that I think that has affected the way we think. And it's just so interesting to me how that has wormed its way into this specific issue of conservation. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Social media in general does make it easy to share information, especially in like short snippets and stuff like that, and also to share locations. Do you think that there are like inherent positives to that platform and sharing geotagging? I mean, like you said, like being outside is a human right. And when you do it, it is kind of like you want to make sure people feel safe and welcome and that they are going to do things correctly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. I'd like to think that I'm always doing it in the right way or doing it in a way that is feels right to me. But I also don't want to give the idea that like, oh, when I do it, it's OK. But when other people do it, it's not because I think there have probably been times in the past where I've done it and looked back and been like, wow, there was really a more thought- thoughtful way to talk about this trail. So I want to recognize that, too. Like, I am not an expert on this remotely. I have messed up in the past and I will probably mess it up again. But I do think it's really important to talk about that trail information is really hard to come by in like certain areas. It's hard to figure out what trails are safe to hike, what trails are great for people with kids, what trails are dog friendly, what areas are safe for women to hike alone is something that people don't talk about or people of color or queer people. It's like not even out there on the trail and sharing on social media about that can help that out. So here's where my statistics come in. The Outdoor Foundation's 2021 trend report stated that 72% of participants in outdoor activities or outdoor recreation are white, 54% are male, and quote from their article, history indicates that adults who are not exposed to the outdoors as children are less likely to become outdoor participants as adults, thus enforcing the longevity of these trends. And I think that that's something where the idea of geotagging comes in or not even just geotagging, just democratizing outdoor information is that by sharing these things, you're making it more accessible to people who don't have a parent who taught them how to paddle or like me, an uncle who like taught me how to roll when I was 14. That's a huge advantage. I think a really more tangible example of this is just the guiding industry in general. In order to work as a guide, working as a guide in general provides you with training, free training, free access to gear, discounts on gear experience and then so many connections in the outdoors like through sea kayaking I've been able to get into climbing I've been invited on all sorts of other trips that are not in my discipline that I would not have had access to if I was not a sea kayaking guide first but in order to get into that field you have to know how to apply like you have to find the application you have to know how to get your woofer woofa you have to have some sort of outdoor experience you have to be able to work seasonally which people are like oh no mom and dad doesn't pay for everything and it doesn't matter if your parents don't pay for it Every single person in seasonal work has a safety net to fall back on and like no family obligation that's keeping them at home. And I think that's really important to talk about, too, is like definitely I think it's unfair to say people who work seasonally are bankrolled by their parents. But I think people need to acknowledge that they know that if something bad happened, if they broke their arm and were out for the season, they could go home and stay with their parents. And not everybody has that. And then even if you were as somebody outside of this circle of people with access to this to overcome all of that and show up for your raft guide job. You're going to be with mostly straight white dudes whose parents have a cabin nearby. And it's really hard to like form that kind of connection with people who don't have the same background as you. And I think it is talked about in some spaces and then not in other spaces. So I also think that these resources that people create are a lot more meaningful when they actually come from people of color 
queer people and other marginalized groups than when they come from people like me. So I do think that's also something to keep in mind when we're talking about geotagging is getting more creators from marginalized communities, creating and doing the democratization of these resources makes it a lot easier and a more welcoming space. Yeah, absolutely. And that that would be a really big positive as far as accessibility goes and representation, like you were saying, in order to bring more people into the industry and just across the board have a different demographic going through yeah, because like the definitely. trends that you listed off, like that has been the trend for as long as the industry has existed. So yeah, it's definitely gotten better. Like when I see kayak guide, there's definitely like more women, but you still are not seeing people of color the way that you should be. That's just, that's just true. I do think though, the key to the positives of geotagging is that this works best when the trail information shared is like good, accurate information and that there's nothing on social media to check and make sure that that information is good and accurate. So I I think that like kind of segues into the negatives pretty pretty nicely (laughs) yeah I mean there are a lot of like geotagging is like a weirdly heated discussion it seems very niche but yeah there are a lot of negatives to geotagging that a lot of people really like to point out yeah definitely actually the things that I find to be like the negative the actual concerning stuff I feel like is super different from what people usually bring up for me as a paddling guide like I'm far more worried about the people who are tagging Devil's Island in Lake Superior that they took a boat to get to, a sail, private sailboat probably, because you actually can't book a tour to Devil's Island, fun fact, making a viral reel as if you can paddle out there and then somebody tries to do it and dies. Like that is the kind of geotagging that I see happen, at least in my local area, is there are people who are tagging these things that they are not mentioning that they had like a boat access to do or tagging things like at the Apostle Islands mainland sea caves. It's paddleable probably 40% of the days in the summer. The other 60% of the days in the summer, it's extremely dangerous to paddle. That's why you book a guided tour. And there are, I think the last I heard, average of six-ish NPS rescues a summer. There haven't been any deaths, like actual deaths in the stretch I'm talking about specifically. There have been other parts of the islands in the last couple of years, but it's a matter of time before it happens because somebody goes out there in their little sun dolphin kayak. I hate sun dolphins. It's a whole nother thing. And they, because they saw it on the internet that somebody else did it. And like, next thing you know, you're in two foot waves and it's cliff. So you actually have to swim back to shore if you capsize and the water temperature is about 48 degrees year round. So for me, the the biggest negative of geotagging is it's extremely easy to share something as someone who is not an expert locally or knowing about the risks in that area. And this like happens all over the place. I feel like people are tagging, oh, I hiked Mount Washington in a day and don't mention like they have 200 mile per hour winds a lot of the time. I kind of see it as we're democratizing trail information without also democratizing risk management information. And I think that that's really key is because outdoor information is so hard to access, only sharing trail information and only sharing like these are the most beautiful hikes without sharing this is stuff that you would learn in a WUFA class. This is how, this is who you should call. This is what you should, you should have three ways to communicate that are not a cell phone. None of that stuff is going viral in the same way that like, wow, look at this beautiful summit that gets seven thunderstorms a day is. So I am concerned about that almost in the same way I am about like the leave no trace concerns. Cause I think they're like inherently linked. If someone is up there in trouble, the damage done to the environment in a rescue is also not leaving no trace. Yeah, I guess uh, that for me, that is like what I think most of the geotagging damage has been. I do think also like there's the love to death aspect 
the interesting thing about that, so I could not find a single, I looked really hard. I could not find a single statistic concretely linking social media to damage to any specific trail or any specific area. Everything is anecdotal. And I think part of that is because it's really hard to quantify something like that. Like, how do you, how do you measure it? But I just thought it was interesting that like, I couldn't find anything concrete. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I have mostly heard like anecdotal experiences and never seen statistics kind of like you're saying. I haven't done as much in-depth research, but it also makes me think like the negativity towards the geotagging in terms of like area and natural degradation. I feel like a lot of times then like the parks and things need to have a response. So I think of like Zion Mm -hmm. National Park and Angels Landing. That's a really famous one that people will recognize. Like that didn't used to have a permit system. You used to be able to just do it as a day hike, but then it became overused and now there's a permit system. And so like on the other side of the coin, yeah, it is a really cool hike. It's really beautiful. You can take some really cool videos and photos up there, which is like maybe why it became so popular. But like Mm -hmm. also now people are complaining about the fact that you need a permit to hike it. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's actually a super interesting way of thinking about it, too, is like the more it blows up on social media, almost the less accessible it becomes. And I think because you need a permitting system. But I also think that's just life at a certain point. There are always going to be other trails to hike. Okay, so anecdotally, this is a thing that happens where trending locations happen, where And I don't think it's any one person on social media tags like Angels Landing. I think it's a group of people start tagging it, probably unrelated to each other. But like many people start sharing about the same place. And I think in a place like a national park where they can implement a permit system, maybe it's not as big of a deal as a place like a national forest where resources are spread really thin. Although so I've got forest ranger friends up here and there's a kind of a trail like that. Perhaps you've heard of it. Oberg Mountain in Minnesota. You have. Cool. So in the fall. I believe the number that they counted in the 40 car parking lot all the way down the road was like 300 cars last year. And it's just for like two weekends. But people are parking in front of like people's houses and really parking off the side of the road in national forests, like on wildlife, not wildlife, plant life. And it's kind of an issue there. And that's one that has become popularized through social media. It's the one, if you're not familiar with the area, if you Google Oberg Mountain, it's like this mountain and you get up above this perfect circle lake below you. And in the fall colors, it's very lovely, but you're, you're never going to hike it alone in the fall. There's always going to be people there. But it's important to note, too, that like that is Forest Service and they're actively doing assessments of what changes need to be done to support that level of tourists. Like it is somebody's job to worry about that. So that's, I think, important to note. And I also think the interesting thing that kind of comes up with geotagging is when a tag trail is a social trail, not an official trail. So a really good example of that one is Delta Lake in Jackson Hole. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I'm not. I've never hiked it, but it's in Grand Teton National Park. And it's kind of the trail that blew up that is responsible for the tag responsibly keep Jackson Hole wild tag on Instagram that was actually started. Was it by their tourism board? I don't know if it was their tourism board or the park, but they kind of started this whole thing because it's a really difficult trail. People are getting injured all the time getting to it, but it's also not an official national park trail. Like they don't want you hiking it. They'll put logs in front of it to try and get people not to hike it, but they saw it on social media. Like, oh, if you go here, look for this and then take this little spur trail. And I think that that's really interesting because when they were doing the tag responsibly, keep Jackson Hole wild campaign kind of thing, they didn't mention that it's not an official national park trail. And I think that's really important to mention and let people know, like, the national park doesn't want you hiking here for whatever reason, whether it's erosion, whether it's it's just not a place that you're really supposed to be hiking. So 
I think that those two things, like tagging places that don't have the resources that like a stretched thin national forest and maybe locally the Superior National Forest is not a super great example because they are actively making those assessments. But tagging places that or like sacred indigenous sites, if a local tribe doesn't want you hiking there, then don't hike there and definitely don't tag it on the Internet. Or Hawaii has a please don't geotag campaign because they're already struggling to support the amount of tourists and they don't want to make it easier to get to some of these spots that they already can't manage. And I I don't think it's like all or none. I don't think all geotagging is bad or all geotagging is inherently good. Obviously, I think that like one of the best things you can do is listen to the managing body. I also think it's really so I mentioned earlier that I I was unable to find a statistic to pin any over tourism squarely on social media or Instagram reels or TikTok. And I wanted to like kind of mention some of the other things that could be causing this over tourism. For example, all trails. Perhaps you're familiar with all trails. I have a lot family. of thoughts about all trails. Well, everybody's <laughs> got a lot of thoughts about all trails and I think yeah. they're not the same vein. Or even Google Maps now, well, if you're looking for hikes, we'll start suggesting hikes in the area to you. There's just been increased recreation outdoors due to COVID-19 and an increased global population. And like personally, I find it really concerning that we've decided to pin all of the blame on social media for over tourism rather than examine it as a complex social issue. Because what's happening is we're prescribing a solution that's not actually based on the issue. And I think that that's just going to lead to a ton of problems downstream when the over tourism doesn't change. If we change the way we use social media and nothing happens and it's like, okay, well, we got to start at square one. So I don't know. I think part of it is coming after geotagging is the easiest and most obvious thing to address. It's like, oh, wow, you shared this trailhead. That's bad because the A to B process is really concise and it feels like you're doing something to leave a comment. And it's a lot harder to go and examine like, okay, what are the managing bodies? How should this place be tagged? Is this park short on resources? If so, should I donate money instead of leaving a comment? You know, that kind of thing. Anyways, I think it's a complex issue and there's a lot of like minutia that go into it. But I think the biggest thing about geotagging is that it is a complex issue, a social issue that has so many factors going into it. And definitely social media is one of those factors. I don't want to underplay that, but it's not the only factor. Yeah, yeah, it is a complex issue and you bring up a lot of really good points. And I do want to backtrack a little bit and talk a little bit, maybe a little more in depth about how to meet the demands that like whatever the cause is for having more people go to a certain area or even just recreate outside. Like it does like it doesn't matter the cause really at this point, but more so like how we are going to handle it, which feels like very reactionary, (laughs) which is unfortunate. Totally. But like if you were to I don't know, you could break it down in like two different ways. Like if you were to approach it as like, how do we solve the social issue side of things? How can we meet the demands of the Mm -hmm. access to outdoor spaces? But then also, how do we control the crowds and make sure that they're not trampling the environment? Yeah, I think that the how do we control the crowds and make sure they're not trampling the environment? The best thing that someone like me can do is back off and listen to people who work in parks and people who have a degree in that kind of thing. Every single like popular state park or national park has a friends of the fill in the blank nonprofit If you want to know how to best support that park and support park management, go type in like Friends of Zion National Park, figure out what projects they're working on and donate some money. Like, in my opinion, that is like the most concrete way you can support over tourism is by shutting up for a second and like donating a little bit of money 
So I, I've done a lot of work with Friends of the Apostle Islands National Lakeshore, and I want to plug their Access for All project right now, because right now what they are doing is they are trying to put in a ramp to the beach, the kayak launching beach to get to the sea caves to make it ADA accessible because kayaking is an opportunity, like an opportunity for people with mobility challenges to get out and enjoy, and enjoy mm -hmm. the outdoors. So that's a location that I've been sharing a lot of on social media to try and kind of plug them and fundraise for them because this is a really cool place that because it's on the water, no one, there's no concrete, you're not like degrading the caves by paddling through them in any way. And it's a really cool opportunity for people who can't hike to paddle instead. Every single park has an organization doing something really cool like that by people who really care about it. Finding a way to donate money to them would be awesome if that if it's something you're passionate about, if geotagging and both equal access and preserving the environment are something important to you. Th these people are trying to put in ramps so that you're not trampling the wildflowers to get down there, that kind of thing. I do think what's really interesting to think on, too, is that on the end of the people who are creating these resources, it would be really cool if we could get some kind of standard, some kind of like universal guidelines to help people who are creating this sort of content do it better. Because I think most people want, most content creators in the outdoors want to do a good job. But um, encouraging people to take a wilderness first aid course if they're going to be an outdoor content creator would be really cool. Personally, I think that if you are writing in the outdoors or a content creator in the outdoors, you are obligated to research and share in good faith about the area you're profiting off of. That's <laughs> something that I kind of think should be a gold standard and like knowing in your heart that if it's a two car parking lot and a hiking trail with no cell service, it probably doesn't belong in a viral reel. But if it's a place with a paved parking lot or entry, like sharing entry level hikes, especially I think is really useful, especially in diffusing traffic from places that are harder hikes where people are routinely getting injured and search and rescue is having to kick in. And I, I also think one of the best things you can do as a content creator is contact the managing body of the place you want to tag, whether it's just reading on their website, figure out if they have a like best practices for geotagging on their website. A lot of places do. And if you're on indigenous land, which if you're in North America, you are, you can reach out to the local tribe. I know that sounds really intimidating and it's probably easier in some areas than other, but others. But here on the North Shore, the Grand Portage Ojibwe are the indigenous tribe and they have a national monument staffed by Grand Portage people, co-managed by Grand Portage people. And you can go up there and you can talk to them and they will tell you which trails you need an indigenous guide to hike and shouldn't share about on the internet and which ones are like great and family friendly and go for it. Which trails outside of the reservation are have sacred sites and maybe you should avoid tagging and which ones they don't really care if you go to and would like, I think people have the idea that a lot of indigenous tribes in America are like, get off my land, don't hike here. I don't think that's really true especially in the area of Grand Portage, people are super friendly and you should definitely, if you're listening and you're from Northern Minnesota, go up to Grand Portage and talk to people about where it's cool to hike because it's a friendly place. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of times it just kind of comes down to doing your research, being knowledgeable, yeah. and also not being afraid to ask questions because, I mean, I think about a lot of the places that I have traveled before and I generally don't geotag ever on social media or anything like that. Yeah. But it's good to ask the locals questions because they'll be able to give you that information of like, this is a really beginner friendly trail or this one is potentially hazardous this time of year. Like, totally. Yeah. I think a lot about that in like Utah, Arizona, those places and like slot mm -hmm. canyons, those can be extremely dangerous. And they're also very popular online. So like writing blog posts about them, social media posts, all of that jazz. 
I'm going to, I'm just kind of rambling at this point, but <laughs> no, I, no, I actually, so I think that's a really good point because the things that vary in safety seasonally, a lot of times, if you hit it during the safe season, you might share about it in the spring and not realize, oh, you can't hike in that flooded slot Canyon. And like, I think that's, that actually is such a good point because people are, I think that there is not anything holding people accountable for sharing information that might not be good year round or just, they hit it on a lucky day. I think that part, if more people were, I think, okay, so for me, I have seen a lot of stuff like this. The big one for me is when people are out kayaking on a big lake without a life jacket. That drives me crazy as a paddling guide, perhaps like super obviously, but I have not had any luck with commenting on anyone's post. Comment on a post and it's probably going to like, people are going to take it as an attack. I have had an a hundred percent success rate with DMing someone and being like, Hey, I just noticed you did this. Like, here's where I'm coming from with it. I trust that you're a good paddler, but I would hate to have people see this and get the wrong idea. Like, are you open to having a conversation? hundred percent success rate of like people being super open to that and learning from it. So I think part of the way we should go forward with talking about geotagging and tagging safely and safely for both people and the environment is focusing more on call-ins and less on call-outs, if possible. Yeah, I really, I like that approach. It is a lot more personal and it's also not public. Like perhaps that is why mm-hmm. they have a better response because it's not for everyone to see. It's kind of like a private conversation between you and the creator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the thing about social media is TikTok and Instagram reward controversy. So when you do comment something like that, people are going to check on your page and people are going to check on their page and people are checking up for the drama. And it's really hard to have a debate in good faith on social media without knowing that it's a spectacle. And I think that moving the conversation out of the public sphere and talking to people in your life or through DM, making a phone call instead of commenting on someone's post and then sharing the screenshots to your story. Like that's just not an effective way to reach anyone. And it's, it's just not working. It doesn't seem like. (laughs) Absolutely not. No. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to be said about social media, but but I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to harp on that because it is a, like you were saying, it is a larger issue than just that. That's just like kind of the easiest one to attach to because it's one that a lot of people are familiar with. Yeah, totally. So I guess in that vein, I mean, you already kind of mentioned one example of this, but how do you think we can open up better conversations about helping people access that information, making these areas safer and more accessible without attacking each other? Yeah. So I think that like, I guess I see this happening more and more, but like the biggest thing that I have noticed is that again, a place will go viral. We're democratizing outdoor information, not equally. We're making it super easy to find a place, but not easy to learn about a place, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think creating more than just a link to a place as creators and like asking creators to say like, hey, I want to see a resource, like a comprehensive resource on how to visit this place. Like Google it first and include some information. I think that I guess as consumers of outdoor content, we need to go to creators we like and people we learn from and say, hey, I want to see this and people will hopefully adjust. And I, I think the other thing is also as a consumer looking at outdoor content creators and recognizing that most of them are not experts. I do not consider myself an expert, but I don't think we should view influencers or content creators as experts in their field. And it should be also on us as consumers to go and Google that place, that slot canyon we saw to make sure that it's safe. And just like democratizing the safety part too, it'd be really cool if we could get more scholarships for people to take wilderness first aid and basic risk management courses. That's like something that people are working at but I think could use a lot more work. And I think that like democratizing those resources as well, how to use a topographical map correctly, how to use a Garmin inReach, how to 
rent a garment in reach, where to rent gear so you don't have to buy gear. All of this information that makes the outdoors cheaper and more accessible to more people is not being democratized in the same way as the viral trailhead is. And I think changing that would be really great. So sharing links to hard resources as creators would be awesome. Like here's the topographical map of the area and here's a little YouTube on how to use it that kind of thing. And then holding people accountable who are not sharing. If you are the local guide in the area and you see somebody has shared something that you think is irresponsible rather than comment on it, DM them because probably they'll answer. And I think just remembering that we're all people and we all we all have a space in the outdoors, e- even the people who are geotagging, who we may have opinions about, or the people who don't have, everybody deserves it equally. And we can't control what other people are doing, but we can control our reaction to it. And our reaction doesn't need to be to attack someone. It can be to shoot them a kind message and say your piece. That was a little rambling. That was perfect. Absolutely. No, I agree. I, yeah, I agree with a lot of those points. And it is just kind of, it is interesting how we have kind of latched on to like specific subsets of information in the outdoors that maybe... And maybe it's because it is more interesting or engaging in short snippets when our attention span has shortened and it's more interesting to the general public than it would be to someone that is already interested in outdoor recreation where like if you're already in that world then you might be more willing to do that back-end research. Whereas like someone being introduced to it, that's not necessarily like top of mind because how could it be? There is like an ignorance there that can be dangerous. Yeah. Well, do you know the, like the Dunning-Kruger effect, that graph where, where it like shows like all the things you you don't know what you don't know about something until you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's like the only good way to explain it. (laughs) There's a lot of that where people who are, consider themselves avid hikers or avid paddlers don't realize how much more technical information there is until they take that first risk management course. And they're like, oh, wow, actually, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I remember when I took my first like ACA, American Canoe Association course, looking back at some of the paddle trips I did with my uncle and being like, oh, damn, we were really lucky to get out of there alive. Like, I did not realize how serious that was. And now that I've got like 10 years of sea kayaking under my belt, like, it's just, it's re- it's really easy for me to understand how somebody new to the sport might not recognize a dangerous situation. And I think that that goes in a lot too when people are creating hiking guides. They're like, it's just a hike, but it's not. So yeah, that's that's so interesting that you point that out. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like from those experiences, it's easier to gain some empathy for beginners and stuff like that. And I mean, I think back on some of my early backpacking trips and honestly, in some situations, I'm like, I probably should have been seriously injured or like someone could have died. Like realistically, every single backpacking trip I've ever been on. Why would you carry gear when you could paddle it? (laughs) I do not understand, but okay. I also like paddling, like canoe camping. I I like to go up to the boundary waters and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, The boundary waters is a big one where the barriers to entry are super low. So people often find themselves in over their head very fast. I think that's probably true of backpacking too. It's it's less true of sea kayaking because many, many people realize the first mile into their trip that they're ill-equipped and just turn around. <laughs> but I think the boundary waters, you can be four days in and be like, oh man, we only packed ramen and then like live with that. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a lot. I love the boundary waters. It's a beautiful place, but it is a place where you can get into trouble fast and it is hard to access. It's a very difficult yeah. area to access. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's beautiful, but there, Yeah. <laughs> 
I've got so many stories. We don't need to go into them. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, my mind is like reeling. I was like, I'm thinking all these experiences and like also things that I have witnessed from like other like people sure. passing people and like other camps and questions that people have come to me with on the trail. And I'm like, we're literally in the middle of nowhere. What if you had not run into us? You know, oh, those are my favorite when people come and ask you like, hey, I'm so sorry. Will you just can you show me why this compass isn't working? Like something like that. And then I'm like, just scared for their life because I'm like, okay, what if we're not going the same direction? Should I be checking on you? Like most yeah. people figure it out and make it. I, I yeah. like to give people the benefit of the doubt because I think being outside is so human that mm-hmm. I think most people can like tap into something innate and like make it back alive to their car. Oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for them. <laughs> yeah. But I, no, I do think I, it's really important to recognize that we were all a beginner at one point. I remember like when I first started guiding, like not really knowing how to set up a tent, even though I was like, and my uncle had always done it for me. So I was like guiding and I had all this experience, but I'm like, oh crap. Like, Hey, Jemiah, will you show me how does this work? And that was super embarrassing, but I was super lucky. And I had coworkers who laughed at me, but in a nice way, but being a beginner is hard. And it's really hard. I think even when you do recognize that maybe you're not like fully equipped for something, it's really hard to own that and ask for the help and then accept it. But we, we all did start as beginners at one mm-hmm. point. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's much safer to ask the question if you have the opportunity than just to be like, I will be fine. You know, like, yeah, you might be able to figure it out. But if someone is there and like they might be more experienced or they at least can give you a sounding board, you know, like a way to problem yeah, totally. solve and stuff like totally. that. More minds are better than less for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. like as far as beginners go, I mean... It is really important to have the access to the information. And one thing that I have always found really helpful is to have a mentor. So you don't have to necessarily pay for classes, which Mm -hmm. isn't always like an option for people, because even though I find like from REI and stuff, they can be affordable for beginners. It's like you have to get to the location. It's only certain times of the week. And like, like Mm -hmm. you're saying, certain demographics, it's just not an option. Yeah. How do you have like any tips for finding a mentor? Because I think that that would be probably like for from people I know, one of the bigger we're talking climbing gyms is the thing. And with my friend group, everyone wants to learn how to climb, but everyone's afraid to go because it's all dudes. And there's like no way to start climbing at Vertical Horizon, Vertical Endeavors. I don't remember what it's called in Duluth without some guy coming up to you and being like, well, do you know what you're doing? It's like the answer is no, but I don't want your help. So um, (laughs) don't beta spray me right now. Go away. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I think like climbing gyms are a very like, I think relatable example to anyone who's been in one. But I think that that's true in a lot of areas is like finding someone who's even just a little more experienced or just somebody who's willing to go with you can be really hard. Yeah, I'm trying to think back. I mean, a lot of my early climbing experiences were actually at Vertical Endeavors because I went to UMD and I found one of my friends who I was like, she'll probably be into it. So like we would go together, like both of us. So like I think instead of going alone, like going in a group or something like that. And then like we just fangirled really hard about this like one female staff member. And then like kind of like we would only sign up for classes if she was our instructor or we would only ask her questions. So we kind of just like latched on to like a role model type figure and was able to like build that connection more organically. But I think in other situations, like when I moved to Washington, I didn't really have like a solid friend base like I did in Minnesota. And so like finding mentors for new sports. So like a new sport that I've been getting into is like bike drawing with my dog. And the 
the way that I have found people to like learn about it with is honestly Facebook groups. So like I would like search for Facebook groups or like forums where people in this area were talking about it. And so like they'll post about events or they'll post meetups or I made a connection with one woman and I was like, my dog can't do the meetups because he can't be in big groups, but like I'd like to be with like one dog. And so like I would just meet up with her. So I mean, there's ways. There's ways to find people yeah. and find mentors. But I think you honestly, a lot of times just have to like kind of put yourself out there. <laughs> yeah. And that's that I feel like that's the hardest part for beginners. And I think part of that is I know at least in sea kayaking, there's definitely like kind of a pretentiousness about the sport. Like, don't ask me about kayaks. It's really bad. I think it's really hard as a beginner to go up to someone who has so many opinions about the right equipment and has so many opinions about, oh, well, your paddle stroke should actually be at this angle and low angle paddles are for like losers and like all of that. As a beginner, you don't know if someone's talking like that already, even if they're like kind of joking, it's really intimidating. So I think that there's like definitely a culture. I think that's kind of true in a lot of outdoor, like you've got the ultralight backpackers who are like finicky about their gear. And because these people seem so and are usually so knowledgeable they seem hard to approach, but I think most of them just want to talk and feel important. Yeah. A lot of times not, I not would to out myself like that, but I mean, th- yeah. there is also like a balance, like maybe just learn how to filter people, you know? Yeah. And if you have, if you go climbing and there's like one specific, you go climbing with a guy one time and it goes really poorly, I would never climb with him again. You know, that's just kind of yeah. like my process when I would live in different areas and like try to find people to do things with, like, you'll go and maybe it's not super great. So then find someone new. Yeah, that's super true. The other thing I I know I've like ragged on social media a little bit here. I love to. I've made most of my like super outdoorsy friends who I can go backpacking with and do canoe trips with through social, through, like through Instagram. So definitely like those are like super valuable friendships to me. So for me to come and say like, oh, like I really like don't like the way social media makes us talk to each other. That's not strictly speaking true because I've made a lot of really wonderful, like met some super wonderful people in the outdoors who have like had expertise in other things. And we've been able to kind of share cross-discipline through social media. So that's one of the super cool things about sharing outdoorsy content, I guess, is that I've yeah. a lot of, yeah. Yeah. And that's probably find- like the most valuable part of it to me is the people who I've met. Yeah. And finding that shared interest or even find people in your area. Like if maybe you saw someone post near you and you're like, oh, that's cool. Maybe we could do something. Oh, I totally did that. When I first moved up to Grand Marais, I would like go on the Grand Marais geotag and like try and find girls my age and then message them. And that's how I met like my best friend is I was like, hey, I hope this is the cre- super creepy. And she's like, it is super creepy. But I also did that when I moved here. So yeah. that's awesome. No, that's a great idea. I, didn't I don't formally recommend that. that. Don't worry. We're not going to endorse that idea. Okay. Yeah. Pro <laughs> awesome. for geotagging, stalking potential friends. Just throwing it out there. We also don't endorse stalking. No, no, no. <laughs> in, any, in any capacity. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I feel like you shared a lot of really good insights and information about geotagging, like things that I hadn't really considered before. So thank you for that. And I hope that other people found value (laughs) in a lot of the discussion, but how can listeners learn more about you? Maybe follow you on social media or even check out your guidebook. Yeah. So I have confusing social media. I'm Maddie Mark on Instagram, M-A-D-D-Y-M-A-R-Q. And on TikTok, I am my full last name. So I'm Maddie Mark Court. M-A-D-D-Y-M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D is in dog, T is in turnip. And I, I do have a guidebook kind of about the Northern Great Lakes region. 
you can find by searching. It's called Hidden Gems of the Northern Great Lakes. And I'd also like, like to plug my substack called Hello Stranger by me, Maddie, where I write essays kind of about this topic. The initial TikTok that you were talking about was actually an adapted form from an essay I wrote there. And I do feature guest writers. So if any listeners have more thoughts on this topic, if you'd like to publish your argument about why I'm wrong on my blog, which would be an excellent takedown, you should, you should find me and DM me. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll be sure to share the links to all of that in the show notes. But with that, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book, on YouTube, or subscribe to our weekly newsletter at theoutdoorminimalist.com. For even more updates, other educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with the shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.